0: A quick note about this episode, I'm currently in the North Cascades in Washington state for a wilderness first responder training. I don't have any of my normal recording equipment with me, and I'm trying to be quiet so I don't throw off the studying of the other people in the class. So if my commentary in this episode sounds funny, that's why. And since I'm farther north than usual, I'm currently recording this on the ancestral homelands of the Okanagan, Colville, and Inklikatma peoples. Okay, so climate change. It's caused by people, and a lot of the other pollution in our world right now is too. But how do we know this? How did scientists figure out that people were having such an impact on our planet? And what can we, as individual people, do to help? Well, if you've ever asked yourself these questions, or you wanted to know what it's like to hold ice that's 2 million years old, then keep on listening. Hi, I'm Kate Harubi and this is Go Forth in Science Podcast, where we combine adventure and science into a tale that will hopefully make the next time you step outside even better. This month I'm talking with a scientist who's kind of also a historian. Heather studies everything from Antarctic ice cores to tiny particles floating around in the air called aerosols. She's traveled all over the world for her research, from the Andes to the Alps, and most recently, to Everest. All to figure out what our world looked like before humans were around, and what it looks like now that we're here to stay.
1: So my name is Heather Clifford. I am a PhD student at the University of Maine. I would like to describe myself as a paleoclimatologist or glaciologist or a climate data scientist, or all of the above.
0: So what does your research tell us about our planet?
1: My research specifically focuses on aerosols in high mountain regions. I look at the Swiss Alps, the Andes, the Himalayas, and how do these aerosols transport? What are the atmospheric conditions? What's the atmospheric circulation like? We can learn about what's happening now. If we do snow samples, we can look to the past with ice cores. So we're learning about atmosphere conditions, what the climate is like now, what the climate was like in the past, how it's differing. But also another aspect that I look at is pollution and how humans have polluted the atmosphere through time.
0: Do you have a couple examples of aerosols that you're looking at?
1: One of the studies that I am working on is an ice core from the Swiss Alps. So this ice core was drilled down uh, about 72 meters. And in that 72 meters, we have about 4,000 years of data. Wow. And one study that came out from this ice core is looking at lead emissions. And one major anomaly that appeared in this record of lead emissions in Europe was a significant drop in the mid 1300s. And this is attributed to the Black Death. When a lot of the population in Europe died from the plague, emissions had dropped significantly and you can see that in the ice core. And then, you know, after the population was able to regain strength and numbers, the emissions went up again. And after the Industrial Revolution, they increased significantly up to about the 1970s, 1980s, where regulations were put in place for leaded gasoline on cars. And then you watch it decrease again. So how these emissions in these ice cores vary, you can tie it into humans and and what was happening in time.
0: It makes you wonder what 2020 is going to look like in ice cores.
1: (laughs) Yeah, so that, I mean, that that has been a discussion about, you know, writing grants for looking at what the difference in emission is. And specifically, you can do that with snow and snow pits that kind of give you a good sense of what's happening in recent times.
0: Well, 2020 snow and ice research coming, but (laughs) what is the oldest ice you've ever studied?
1: I am lucky enough to have worked on the oldest ice core ever drilled. This was drilled in Antarctica, and this ice is 2.7 million years old. Crazy. Yeah, and while this ice core is not continuous, it's still able to kind of give us a snapshot in time. The bubbles in the ice contain these greenhouse gases from Earth's atmosphere, and so this ice revealed uh, carbon dioxide levels that didn't exceed 300 parts per million, um, which is well below today's levels. So, this is kind of opening a new window into looking at the atmosphere in the past.
0: Along with all the dust, lead, and other aerosol particles in these ice cores, there's also tiny bubbles of trapped air from whenever that snow fell and turned into ice. When scientists take that air and do a bunch of chemistry tests on it, they can pull out things like how much carbon dioxide was in our air at different times. In air, carbon dioxide is measured in a concentration parts per million. I won't bog you down with what that means specifically, but an important number to remember is 300. Even in the past bunch of ice age and non-ice age cycles, our carbon dioxide levels haven't risen above 300, until people came along and started burning fossil fuels. Currently, our carbon dioxide levels are sitting around 415 and steadily rising, and since carbon dioxide and air temperature are linked, that means that our planet is going to get a lot warmer too. It's mind boggling to me that we can get this two million year old record from ice, The substance that melts.
1: <laughs> I mean, it, the logistics of ice coring is pretty crazy too. Cause you know, when you have to, when you drill it and you have to f- keep it frozen when you're transporting it to get it into the freezer. And then when you're in the freezer, you gotta wear, I, I wear this like crazy get up. It's like a, like a, like a giant snowman, like just so covered up and having to work with this ice. I mean, I was a master's student at the time and they're like, here's the oldest ice ever drilled. Have fun in the freezer. And I'm just like, I don't want to mess this up. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that was like, that was a lot to handle as like, you know, a, a pretty new master's student. Like, oh my God, what if I, what if I mess this up? How, what if, what if I melt this ice core that is the oldest <laughs> ice ever drilled?
0: So you mentioned a little bit about the carbon dioxide in the atmosphere. How does the data that you're collecting, not only in the oldest ice core, but across all of your ice cores, how does that tie into the climate that we know today?
1: So extracting and interpreting chemistry from these ice cores uh, is important to guide modern research better understand natural fluctuations in climate and the impact of humans on these remote environments. So it, it really just gives us a sense of What has happened and comparing it to what is currently happening so that we can predict what's going to happen.
0: A theme of this podcast is to combine science and adventure and to just get outside and discover new things. And you went adventuring for science to the tallest mountain in the world. What was it like to live on Everest for a field season?
1: It was an absolute amazing experience. The Himalayas are just the most gorgeous mountain range you don't you don't know how you can't really even grasp how tall these mountains are as you're walking through them you can't even see the peak of Everest at base camp there's like two large mountains that are connected to Everest right in front of it and they're so tall and the only time I think I actually like was able to grasp how tall this was was a helicopter left the camp that we were at and flew up to camp two and so As it was going higher and higher, it was like circling to get higher, it just became so small. And I see it sneak in between these two peaks to go up to Camp 2. The helicopter just became a little speck. That was really cool to live at base camp and to be able to trek through those mountains for a few weeks. The day that we got to base camp, there was a giant snowstorm and I was freezing. I had altitude sickness, this crazy headache. For some reason, whenever I hit 15,000 feet, I just got a crazy headache. And so I could barely see straight. I'm walking through base camp, but there's a snowstorm, so I can't see anything. I went to bed that night and I just was in my tent. I was just like, I can't do anything else. I have such a bad headache. I woke up in the morning, opened the tent, and just to see this valley surrounded by these really tall, gorgeous mountains, that was amazing. We were really lucky, too, because we had a really great support team. So we had chirpas and porters with us, and these amazing, lovely people have lived at this altitude for their whole lives, and so they're fine. Like, you know, they're smoking (laughs) cigarettes at base camp, like, this is no big deal. Apparently, they smoke cigarettes all the way
0: up to the summit. Oh my god, that's insane.
1: Yeah, I, like, have a hard time walking just, like, down the glacier just, like, a little bit, just, like, I'm out of breath after, like, 20 steps.
0: It's exhausting. (laughs) They're probably just laughing at all of these Western scientists and tourists that come in and can't move. Yeah. (laughs) So all of these people are hanging out on base camp and going up and down Everest. And with this many people, we start to see what sort of tolls that there are for adventuring. Your team found microplastics all over the mountain, which was a direct result of all these people coming up with fancy gear and clothes What was it like to be such a cool place, but also know that there was such a cost to having all of these people experience it?
1: It's definitely eye-opening to, you know, see these different impacts. As I would walk up the glacier, I would see trash just, you know, deposited along it. And it was actually interesting, down the Kumbu Icefall, you can see trash that was deposited at like Camp 2, Camp 1, and that had moved down the icefall and is just like in the ice now. But you also understand it because there's bodies that my team members were walking past on the way up. And so at that point, you think, well, they're not even bringing bodies down. They're not going to bring down these oxygen containers and the trash that's left up there. And we do these studies so that people are more aware of what's going on. And you know, we found microplastics. We also found PFAS, which is a byproduct of plastic material, water repellent material. So we found that all the way up to the top too. And I have a study right now that I'm looking at and we find potential pollution downstream, like in, in the stream water that is also from local pollution that could be caused by truckers and in the tourism industry in that area. And it's important when you're worried about the people that live in this region. And that's the biggest concern, like, are all these trekkers and climbers coming in impacting the livelihood of the local people, but also that's your income as well, is tourism. So it's a, it's a catch-22 to really dive into that because it's such a remote, pristine region, but is it as pristine as we, as we wanna think it is? It's just a context of the different impacts that humans make on this area. I mean, in overall sense, the Kumbu Glacier, which is where Base Camp is, and it starts all the way up on Everest, that is at a negative mass balance, so it is melting. But the melt from this glacier is responsible for 65% of the local water supply. So climate change is causing this to melt. But then also you have the, the more like local impact of
0: people in the area. A lot of really incredible research came out of this Everest expedition. The international team of scientists and adventurers installed the highest weather stations in the world and collected the highest ice core, along with all the important research Heather mentioned. And you can now watch the National Geographic documentary about it on Disney+. Plus. It's called Expedition Everest, and I've been waiting for it to come out on a streaming service for a very long time. So what is the wildest thing you've done for the sake of science?
1: In a general sense, going into a field that is based on very cold things. I have rain odds, which means I have very poor circulation, so I'm cold 95% of the time. And, you know, I went to my undergrad in South Carolina, like from Massachusetts, cause I was like, I'm just cold. I want to be warm. I'm, I want to go to the South. After undergrad, I came up to Maine, you know, cold. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> to major in, you know, glaciology, cold. Spend time in a freezer, cold. Go to, you know, all these like high mountain regions freezing, you know. So it's just, <laughs> I have a lot of good gear now. So that was big. Like, you know, wearing wool, nice gloves, good socks. Learn my lesson, but that's probably that's probably the craziest thing I've done for science is just being (laughs)
0: cold. Yeah, being out of the element that your body was made for. (laughs) Yes. I think adventuring in grad school taught me how to have the proper gear because I also have radons and again was in a cold place studying cold things. And I was like, cool, yeah, uh wool socks are life. (laughs) Oh yeah, I don't wear anything else. Exactly. My whole drawer is now all the wool socks. Regular days, wool socks. Adventure days, wool sucks, always.
1: <laughs> if anyone, anyone that asks me, like, oh, like, how do you stay warm? Like, how do you do it? I'm
0: like, wool. And wool isn't a microplastic. Yay. Do you want to share your social media at all if people want to find you on the internet?
1: My Instagram is Heather Cliffo. So H-E-A-T-H-E-R-C-L-I-F-F-O.
0: Well, thanks for being on for this interview and telling us about all of your adventures. Thank you so much for having me. Aside from wool, I figured I'd list a few suggestions for lessening our adventuring footprint. There's a bunch of awesome outdoorsy people in my wilderness first responder training, and I asked a few of them about their pro tips and tricks for sustainable adventures. I do want to acknowledge that not everything on this list is doable for everyone. It's more about finding what your own contributions and sustainable adventures can look like. But hopefully this can give you some ideas and inspiration, so we can help the planet at the same time we're enjoying it. One suggestion that came up a lot was to bike. Whether that means bike touring in a new location or starting in your driveway and picking a direction, you can turn your travel into the adventure itself. Which also ties into planning a trip around your local area. With COVID, I think a bunch of us have been spending more time exploring our backyard nature rather than planning big travel. And this is a great practice to keep going in the future. If we're out in the wilderness, or I guess really anywhere, leave no trace. This is a hiking principle that encompasses what to do with your trash, your souvenirs, your fire ashes, and yes, even your poop. Essentially, we don't want any future visitor or the environment to know that we were there. For trash, it means if you bring it in, also bring it out. A pro tip to help with that is to make your own meals. Pre-packed meals are great for a quick trip, but they do generate a lot of trash. Instead, you can buy bulk and create your own favorite adventure meals. Something new I learned from talking to my woofer friends is that with fire pits, you want to spread out the cold, non-burning ashes rather than burying them or leaving them be. Concentrated ashes can actually change the soil chemistry, so it's better to spread them out over a larger area. Just make sure that they are totally out because we really don't want to start any fires. On the subject of microplastics and PFAS, you can buy gear secondhand or repair your gear if it starts to fall apart. Not only is it usually cheaper, but it also cuts down on the footprint of producing and making the gear. For more extensive trips, if you're hiring guiding services, work through companies with sustainability in mind. This usually means doing a little more research instead of just going with the first company that pops up on a Google search. But by supporting groups that care about our planet, we're also helping those groups become more visible. And last but not least, if you have the means to do so, buy carbon offsets. Some airlines or third-party companies allow you to pay a few bucks to contribute to environmental projects like solar power or tree planting to make up for any harm that your travel causes. You can also donate to climate adaptation funds to help out communities that are most affected by climate change. And now it's episode recap time! There is a whole bunch of stuff in snow and ice besides water. Sometimes it's tiny dust particles, sometimes it's carbon dioxide, sometimes it's pollution like plastic and lead. Scientists can look at the chemistry and concentration of all these different substances and piece together stories about what our world might have looked like in the past and what it might look like in the future. For example, Heather could map out historical events in an ice core from the Swiss Alps by matching up lead levels in the ice to things like the Black Plague, the Industrial Revolution, and the banning of lead and gasoline. In the oldest ice core ever recovered, carbon dioxide was one of the substances measured, and scientists figured out that air levels of the molecule were significantly lower than they are today. Since carbon dioxide is a greenhouse gas, it warms up our planet as more of it accumulates in our atmosphere, so knowing past measurements and patterns are essential to map out the possibilities for our future. And last but not least, plastic. Tiny bits of plastic can be found all over the world, and Mount Everest is no exception. Heather and the rest of the research team found evidence of people all throughout the Himalayan landscape, and a lot of this is from the adventure tourism in the area. I consider myself part of that community, even if I've never been to Everest, so I'm going to set some goals for myself to increase the sustainability of my time outside. I encourage you all to do the same as well. Let's clean up this planet that we love. Scientific papers published about the Everest expedition can be found in the journal One Earth. Their November 2020 issue has articles about microplastics, glacier changes, weather, and climate change on the mountain and in the surrounding region. It's all open access, and a link to that journal can be found on my website at goforthinscience.com podcast. If you want to learn more about Leave No Trace principles, you can go to lnt.org. And if you're interested in learning more about ice and ice cores, you can listen to a few of my past episodes. It's Super Cool, Part 1 and 2, and whether it's weather or climate, go into a little more detail about different science that is happening in the icy landscapes of our world. Thanks for listening, and happy adventuring!